Have you ever wondered why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, there is one baptism, yet when you open up the Scriptures, there are many that are mentioned. Have you ever been asked by someone, studying with one of your religious friends, how do you know that in Ephesians chapter 4, he's not talking about Holy Spirit baptism? How do you know that's not the one baptism of the New Testament? What even does this word baptism mean? And what are the different baptisms mentioned in the Bible? Let's keep those questions in mind as this morning we study about baptism. Let's study the topic of baptism this morning. And with those questions in mind, we'll hopefully answer those. And the next time somebody asks you a question, you'll point to it and say, here's exactly why. I know it's not Holy Spirit baptism. Before we begin to talk about this one baptism or the different types of baptism in the Bible, let's begin by understanding the origin of the words for baptism and baptize. The words baptism and baptize are fairly new words in the English language. The words are a... Both words are a transliteration of the Greek words baptizo and baptisma. Transliteration would be where they take a word from this, the language it's originally in, in this case Greek, and would give it the English equivalent. You've seen transliterations, though you may not realize it. When, you, when you're studying, if you look up in a, a, a lexicon, or you look on a Bible program, it'll show you the Greek word in its Greek letters, and probably look at it and think, well, what in the world is that word? But the next to it, it'll have what the English equivalent is. That's a transliteration. That's what a transliteration is. It's taking it from the original and putting it in the form of this new language. So when you hear some, a preacher preach about agape, and they put it on the board, but they don't put it in the Greek alphabet, they put it up in the agape with the English equivalence, that's a transliteration. That's what a transliteration is. So the words baptizo and baptisma were not translated into the English language. They were transliterated. They were taken out of the form in the original and put into a form in the English language, similar form. The two words just carry with them the idea of the connotation of immersion. The two terms just simply mean immersion. But if that's the case, why then does the Bible not just read immersion? The translators of the King James Version did not practice immersion. But they practiced and said the Church of England did sprinkling. And so when it came time to translate it, they instead transliterated it to say baptism or baptize. This is important to understand because I think sometimes we, we automatically associate, because of how we use the word baptism, we automatically associate it with water, water baptism. 
So when we when we're studying today and we see the use of the word baptism, it does not automatically mean that water is involved. The word just simply means an immersion. And when we'll see some of the cases, they're immersed in something, but it's not water. I think it's important to understand this origin of the word before we move on. But before we move on to talk about the different kinds of baptism in the Bible, let's talk about how passages would read had they translated them. Just to give you an idea. Some Bible passages on baptism and how they would have read had the word been translated instead of transliterated. Let's start on Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is immersed will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That is, if you take and you translate it out, how Mark 16, 16 would read. It would not read baptism or baptize because they transliterated it. The literal translation means whoever believes and is immersed will be saved. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 38, when Peter gives his sermon, when he says to them, repent and be baptized, instead it would read, and Peter said to them, repent and be immersed, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 3, instead of saying baptism, which corresponds to this, as the ESV translates it, it would say immersion, which corresponds to this, now saves you. One more, Matthew chapter 3. Here's one of the ones, and we'll see in a second, the use here, other times for baptism. I immerse you, this is John talking, I baptize you, I immerse you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The word baptism appears there again in Matthew 3, 11. We'll talk about that more in a second. Just carries it with it the idea of immersion, though. They took the original language and they just transliterated it, took it and put it in its English form. So that's where the word comes from. The word just means immersion. With that in mind, let's talk. Let, let's quickly run through the baptisms of the Bible, and then we'll come to the, we'll, we'll look at the evidence to see which one is the baptism of Ephesians chapter four. But real quick, let's just get before us real quickly what the baptisms of the Bible are. Number one, Matthew chapter three. We have the baptism of John. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Matthew 3, beginning at verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Let's go down to verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water. Now here he's using water. He's baptizing them with water, but this is not the baptism of Christ. This is the baptism of John. Baptism of John the Baptist. We see it again, and we'll talk about it in more detail later, but we see it again in the book of Acts brought up. Then we see baptism by fire. We've already looked at the passage, but Matthew chapter 3 and in verse 11, this is one of the ones that we took and we translated out. 
replace here the word baptism with immersion as it, as it is translated. But in Matthew 3 and in verse 11, the verse we were just looking at, I indeed baptize you with water. That's the baptism of John and the repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that in a moment. And fire. Again, we'll define what we're talking about, what these baptisms are in just a moment. But right now, I just want us to understand the different, the different uses of the word baptism in the Bible. Again, Matthew 3.11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 record accounts of Holy Spirit baptism for us. There is the baptism of Moses. The baptism of Moses in 1 Corinthians 10 and in verse 2, all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and into the sea. 1 Corinthians 10 and in verse 2. And then lastly, there is the baptism that we always talk about, the baptism of of Christ. But again, what baptism is the baptism of the New Testament? We've seen where the word came from. We've talked about the baptisms of the Bible. But for the remainder of our time, let's talk about these different terms, what they mean, and which one fits Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 1, or verse 1 through 4. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 talks about things there are one of. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he continues on with the list in the verse, and then he talks about there being one baptism. In verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now we know that there are five baptisms talked about in the Bible. We just saw five different baptisms talked about in the Scriptures. We saw the baptism of John, baptism by fire, Holy Spirit baptism, the baptism of Moses, and the baptism of Christ. And we know, based on the context, there can only be one. Not just because of the use of the word one, but there's as many baptisms as there is Spirit, as many baptisms as there is Lord's, as many baptisms as there is God's. So there's clearly one. Which one fits? Ephesians chapter 4. Which one is Paul talking about? Let's start with the baptism of John. Let's, let, let's look at the baptism of John. Which baptism fits this, fits this text? The one baptism of the New Testament. First and foremost, it is not the baptism of John. Go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And it happened, beginning at verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into the, he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John and he baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So here in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and he comes to these men, and he asks them if they've received the Holy Spirit. They said, we've not even heard of such thing as the Holy Spirit. So he asked them with which baptism they were baptized, and they said, into John's. Now, if the baptism of Ephesians chapter 4, the one baptism that's talked about of Ephesians chapter 4, is the baptism of John, why then did Paul take them and baptize them into the name of Jesus Christ? If the baptism of John is the one baptism, then there would have been no need to baptize these men into the name of Christ. Therefore, fitting with the context of Acts 19 and what we know, baptism of John cannot be the one baptism of the New Testament. Okay, so it's not the baptism of John. What about the baptism of by fire? What about the baptism by fire? Could it be the one baptism of Ephesians chapter 4? Go back to Matthew chapter 3. First and foremost, Matthew chapter 3, the administer of the baptism by fire is Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I indeed, John, talking about John, John saying, I indeed baptize you with water and repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than, than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The one administering the baptism of fire is Jesus. Jesus isn't here to baptize with fire. But not only is the fact that Jesus is not here to administer the baptism, this passage seems to be a reference to hell. Look at verse 12, the very next verse. Matthew 3, 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand. Remember, he's just said he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we're still talking about Christ. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. He's just talking about baptism by fire. Now he's burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, using an illustration here. This, this baptism by fire of Matthew 3.11 seems to fit in this context that he's talking, that John is talking about those that are going to be punished with, in hell for all of eternity. They're immersed with fire. That's the baptism of fire. Okay, so we've come to the conclusion that it is not the baptism of John, because if it was the baptism of John, then there would have been no need to baptize those men in Acts 19. We've come to the conclusion that it can't be the baptism by fire, because it's administered by Christ and because he's referring to hell. And it can't be the baptism of Moses. The baptism of Moses. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again. We went there earlier. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And picking up at verse 1, we're going to read where he's using, Paul writing by inspiration, is using the illustration of the people of, of Moses' day and the children of Israel. Remember in 1 Corinthians 10, that passage well known to all of us where he talks about being 
Take heed that you do not fall. In verse 12, that no temptation is overtaking you. But he's talking in the context about making sure that they don't fall, they don't fall in the same trap that Israel did. And in verse 11, he talked about, now all these things happened to them, talking about the children of Israel, as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. So back up to verse 1 now. With that in mind, now in the context, he's talking about Israel being an example. Turn to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the clouds and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. I like what A.T. Robertson said in Word Pictures of the New Testament, where he wrote, The picture is plain enough. The mystic cloud covered the people, while the sea rose in walls on each side of them as they marched across. The immersion was complete for all of them in the sea, around them, and the cloud over them. Moses was their leader then, as Christ is now. And so Paul uses the Greek word ace concerning the relation of the Israelites to Moses as he does of our baptism in relation to Christ. He says they were all baptized into Moses, the Greek word ace. Same Greek word that appears in Galatians 3.27. We're in Galatians 3.27. He's talking about our relationship to Christ. For as many of us as are baptized into, that's the word ace, Christ have put on Christ. So he's paralleling at this case. He's making an illustration. Their, lead, they were, their leader was Moses. They were baptized into the cloud and into the sea. And he's still paralleling the blessings. The context would point that out. The context points out that the, the parallel of the blessings. Look again. He's writing to people that he wants to be aware. Remember, the church at Corinth has a lot of problems going on. And he's dealing in chapters 8, 9, and 10 with the problems they had concerning the liberties. But he wants to parallel to them, beginning at chapter 10, that they need to be careful because what happened to Israel could happen to them. So he uses the baptism of Moses as an illustration because if you move through the text, they were baptized into Moses into the cloud and into the sea. Well, the Corinthian brethren were baptized. They were baptized into Christ, but they were baptized. The children of Israel ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Well, for the Corinthian brethren, they did the same. There's two theories there. Is it the Lord's Supper or is he talking about eating and drinking from the Word of God? One way or the other, they had, this, they had the blessing just as the, the people of Israel did. And then they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Christ is the leader for those at the church of Corinth. They serve him. He's paralleling the blessings. So he uses baptism as an illustration here to reference the fact that they passed through the cloud and the sea and their leader was Moses and he's using that to parallel just as an illustration. This is the only time we hear about it. It's a one-time event. So it cannot be the baptism of Moses. That really only leaves us with two conclusions. We saw five baptisms. Baptism of John, the baptism of fire, the baptism of Moses, Holy Spirit baptism, and the baptism of Christ. We've clearly seen that it can't be the baptism of John, that it can't be the baptism by fire, and it cannot be the baptism of Moses. So let's answer the next question about the Holy Spirit baptism. And I think we'll come to the conclusion as we look at the evidence that it is not Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism is not the one baptism of the New Testament. First and foremost, Holy Spirit baptism was not commanded 
but it was a promise. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 6. Then when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still thought he was restoring a physical kingdom. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons what the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's not a command, that's a promise. This is going to happen. And who he's talking to in this text... And on into chapter 2 where we see it take place is we're seeing the apostles. Look again at Acts chapter 1. Follow with me beginning at Acts chapter 1. Let's follow the way through the text. You highlight in your Bibles, you might want to highlight this if you haven't previously highlighted this. Somebody asks you who gets the Holy Spirit baptism. Let's look at the text. Look at verse 2. Until that day in which he had taken them up, or he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given the commandments to the apostles. You might want to circle that word there, the apostles. Look down at verse 4. And being assembled together with them. Who's the them? You follow your basic rules of grammar that they teach you. You refer to the nearest antecedent. Go back to verse 2, the apostles. We're still talking about the apostles. That's the them of verse, three, of verse 4. He's talking to them and he says... John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we knew that Jesus was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, but now he's telling the apostles, the, the them of verse 4, the apostles of verse 2, that's the you of verse 5. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. We're still talking about the apostles. We're at verse 6. Look at verse 7. And he said to them, you might want to circle that word, them. It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put His own authority, but you, we're still talking about the apostles, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word you that appears three times in verse 8, that's the apostles. Now when, they had spoken these, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up from their sight, verse 9. And they looked steadfastly, and the two men stood by them, and said to the men of Galilee, The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem, and when they had entered into the upper room, they went up into the upper room, and they were staying, and it lists the apostles. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, verse 14. These all, verse 14, continue with one another in accord with supplication. Skip down with me a little later in the text. Pick up at verse 26. So remember, they're gathered together, and they have to choose somebody to take the place of Judas. Verse 26. And when they had cast their lots, and the, and the lot fell on Matthias, he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now I want to circle that there in verse 26. We've already seen the promise was to... But now we're in verse, in the first part of the text, because it was clearly talking about the apostles, but now let's follow when it actually takes place. Is it just the apostles or is it everybody present? He was numbered with the eleven. So we have the apostles, the, the eleven that were still left, plus Matthias, who's now, who's the twelfth one now. Verse 
1 of chapter 2, the very next verse. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together with one accord in one place. They is the apostles of the last verse of chapter 1. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were still talking about the apostles. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another. And when you drop down to verse 7, by the way, and all these people come together when they hear the noise and they're beginning to question what's going on, it says, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? That's what they talked about to the apostles back in chapter 1, the angel did. Standing there as Jesus ascended. Men of Galilee. So we see as we move through the text, the promise of chapter 1 was to the apostles, and the fulfillment of it in chapter 2 was to the apostles and the apostles only. The the original 11 still left, plus Matthias were the ones gathered together when the divided tongues fell upon them. And they were the Galileans. Verse 7. And so, as we move through the text, we see that this was a promise that was made, and it was to the apostles. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, we talk about the case of Cornelius and his household and Holy Spirit baptism. When we read of the case in Acts chapter 10, as Peter is preaching to the Gentiles, that's where he asks, who can forbid water that these be baptized? In chapter 11, he's, ha- he's giving an account of this to the Jews. And in verse 15 of Acts 11, he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it did upon us at the beginning. If Holy Spirit baptism is the one baptism of the New Testament, then it had to happen to each and every individual saved from then on. But when Peter recalls what happened to the, to the, to the household of Cornelius, the last time he recalls it happening was when it happened to the apostles at the beginning. If it happened to the apostles at the beginning and it happened in Acts 11, it's not happening to everyone. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter comes to the conclusion of his sermon, in Acts 2.38, we always go to this verse to talk about it being essential about the... Um, Baptism. This is repent, let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if they received it when they were saved, then they wouldn't receive it after they were forgiven. After they had had remission of sins. But you see, he tells them to repent, be baptized, they'll have forgiveness of sins, and then they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It took place after they were saved, not before. So it's not the baptism of John. If it was, there would be no need to baptize those men that were there that in Acts 19 that Paul talked to. It's not the baptism by fire that's a reference to hell. It's not the baptism of Moses. He's paralleling in, in 1 Corinthians the bless, their blessings with ours. It's talking about a one-time event when they pass through the cloud and the sea and Moses is their leader. And it's not Holy Spirit baptism. That leads us within with just one conclusion. It is the baptism of Christ. This passage isn't on the board, 
But if you remember in Acts chapter 19, before we look at the rest of the passages that are going to be on the board, in Acts chapter 19, if you remember we read it earlier, where Paul is talking to those who've received the baptism of John, and he's talked to them after they received the baptism of John, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, and he baptizes them. Look down in verse 6, or rather verse 5. When they heard this, that is what, what all Paul had told them, where he had told them about, about Jesus and the believing on Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's one baptism. They had previously been baptized in the baptism of John, but that wasn't the one baptism. So then when they were baptized, they were baptized in, in the name of Christ, baptism into Christ. It's the baptism of, into Christ that puts us in the one body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 13. For by one Spirit you were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one, or have been made to drink into one Spirit. In fact, Notice this. This is the baptism that is available to everyone. Think about it for just a second. Let's look real quickly when you think about the other baptisms. The baptism of John was available to those that were there in John's day. Those who heard from John. Baptism by fire is a reference to eternal punishment, so those that are lost had the baptism of fire. The baptism of Moses is the baptism that happened to those that were present and passed through the cloud and through the sea. Baptism by the Holy Spirit was to the apostles, and then it happened again to the household of Cornelius. But the baptism of Christ is available to everyone, for they were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in the one spirit. You know, it's the only baptism available to everyone. There's only one baptism. And the one baptism that is essential has to be the baptism of Christ. It's the one available to everyone. And if, if a baptism not available to everyone is the one baptism, then God would be a respecter of persons. If a baptism that not everyone could have was available, was the baptism that was essential then God would be a respecter of persons. But this is the baptism available to all. In fact, this is the baptism of how we get into Christ. Well, here we go. Galatians 3. We referenced this a minute ago. Galatians chapter 3. Remember we talked about the word ace and how those were baptized into Moses. We talked about those baptized into Moses, the Greek word ace. It's the same word that she's referencing how we're baptized into Christ. It's Galatians 3 is where that occurs. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. Those that would believe that Holy Spirit baptism is a baptism today... But it still takes place, and that's the baptism of Ephesians chapter 4. And the water baptism, baptism into Christ, is not essential. We still argue you need to be into Christ. But how do you get into Christ? Well, according to Galatians 3, 26 and 27, the way into Christ is through being baptized into Christ. That's how you put him on. 
That's how you're sons of God. It's through water baptism, baptism into Christ. Baptism of Christ is how we die to the old man and raise to walk in a newness of life and to be a new creature. We studied not that long ago, remember Romans chapter 6, where in Romans chapter 6 he talks about what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know as many of you as were baptized into Christ? Put on Christ. Baptized into Christ. And those are the ones that died to sin. But then in verse 4, they've raised the walk in a newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you also should walk in a newness of life. In the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made alive with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. We talked a few weeks ago about the book about Ephesians chapter 2 and being made alive. How we look at Ephesians chapter 2 and he talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sins, but he made us alive. And we looked at Colossians 2.13, because it's a parallel passage. Colossians 2.13 not only tells us that we were dead and are alive, verse 12 tells us how it happened. We died, or we were buried in baptism. We died of the old man. He's going to tell us in chapter 3. And we were buried in baptism, which we were raised with him, that was with Christ, through faith in the working of God. So when we were buried in the waters of baptism, after we had died, we're dying to the old man, we're buried in the waters of baptism, we rise to walk in the newness of life. Though we were dead, we are now alive. First Peter chapter 3, that should be, First Peter 3, you're going to have a hard time finding 4.17 through 32. First Peter chapter 3, we looked at this passage earlier. Baptism, which corresponds to this, or the New King James says, there is an antitype which now saves us baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. The, the proper translation there is not an answer of a good conscience. The ESV translates it better when it says an appeal for a good conscience. Baptism is an appeal to God. You see, baptism corresponds to where it talks about how they were saved in 1 Peter chapter 3, they were saved from the flood. Noah and his family. And in 1 Peter 3, he made the point that who were formerly disobedient, talking about in the days, who were divine long-suffering, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype. A baptism which corresponds to this now saves us. Just as they were saved through water, so are we. Baptism is not the removal of filth of the flesh. The question gets raised sometimes by those that want to question the legitimacy of baptism is what power is in the water? Well, none. In fact, Peter's saying in 1 Peter chapter 3 that you're not baptized to remove filth of the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're baptized not because you want to have you, you want to to be clean physically. See, sometimes people were baptized in some water that was really needed to be cleaned out. I was. 
But it wasn't about being being clean physically. But it was an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power was not in the water. It was in the fact that we believed we were buried. It was the act of obedience because God had told us to be baptized. It was an appeal to God for a good conscience. And it is ultimately how we receive the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of or forgiveness of your sins. That's why the baptism of Christ is the one baptism of the New Testament. Because it's how we achieve forgiveness of sins. It's how we can have a good conscience. It's how we are buried to die. When we die to the old man, we're buried and we rise to walk as a new creature. It's how we get into Christ and put on Christ. And it's how we get into the one body. Remember in Acts 2.38, He told them to be baptized. In verse, Acts 2.38. In verse 41, those that received the word were added to them. And then in verse 37, He continued to add to the church or to their number daily those who are being saved. Well, how were they saved? They were saved through water baptism. That's how they're added to the church. Baptism. It's a topic that is something we'll talk about from time to time in, a, in an entire lesson such as this. It's something we mention when we come together all the time about the need for one to be baptized. But you know, there's some controversy about it. We didn't even get into the fact of baptism being... We showed that baptism is essential, but we didn't even talk about the arguments that it's not essential and how we can answer that. Well, what we did answer is we answered the question of what's the one baptism of Ephesians 4 and showed how it is not the baptism of John, it is not the baptism of fire, it is not the baptism of Moses, and most importantly, and the one that's argued most is it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but instead it is baptism into Christ. Because being baptized into Christ is how we're forgiven of our sins how we can have a good conscience, how we die to the old man and rise as a new creature. If you are here this morning and you have never responded in obedience to the gospel, you've never been baptized, then you don't have the forgiveness of sins. You've not been forgiven. You're still in your sins, still in the old man. But instead... If you've heard the word and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you can repent of those sins, you can confess your faith in the Lord Jesus, and you can be buried in the waters of baptism. Make that appeal to God. Rise and walk in a newness of life and be forgiven of your sins. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but somewhere along the line you've not lived as you should. And, and if that sin's in a private nature, take it to God in prayer. But if in a public nature, then we'll pray with you and for you for God to forgive you. No matter what your need is, if we can assist you this morning in any way, would you not come forward as together we stand and as we sing.